Hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard. This is episode 349, recorded on Wednesday, the 16th of December 2020, and the time at the beginning of the show was 0000001. You'll have to excuse me because I seem to be having a few audio problems at the moment. I'm going to pause, then I'll be back. But of course, you won't know that, or you wouldn't have known that, but now I've told you, so now you do. Hello, I'm back. I've tried a few things, I just don't know what's going on, I've moved some wires around. But there seems to be some minor background hiss. I'll be able to get rid of that in post, but that's a bit annoying, isn't it? I don't know what that is. The only difference is I've had phantom power on for a week using an external preamp, and now I've turned it off, but there's this extra hiss. Enough of this. Hello again. Yep, episode 349. <laughs> I've probably already said that. I'm a bit dotty today because I don't have my full show notes in front of me. It's a hodgepodge of stuff that I haven't actually finished, so I'm going to have to do this mostly seat of the pants and then retrospectively write my show notes. The reason for all this disorganisation will become apparent when we get to our text section. And that is the state of the pod today. Let's start off with some culture. First of all, a few RIPs. A RIP to John le Carre, the pen name of author David John Moore Cornwell, who died on the 12th. John le Carre wrote lots of spy books and is most famous for his character George Smiley, which is how I was introduced to him when I was a child and my dad watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with Alec Guinness. Later on, I read his novels. I've mentioned them before in the podcast. I just wanted to say, rest in peace. Also, this week, Barbara Windsor died on the 10th of December. I and people my generation know her from the Carry On films, where she seemed to lose her top in every film and then more latterly in EastEnders. I think EastEnders? I don't actually watch EastEnders. I haven't watched EastEnders for years and years. This is just a little addendum to Small Axe's Alex Wheatle, which we've already talked about in enough detail. Uh, Just to remind you what I thought. It's good, which is enough of a review, but what I left out is the two Star Wars references in the movie, which geeks will love, and certainly groan at as well. Earlier today, I also box-setted the four-part drama on ITV, called The Sister, by Luther's Neil Cross. He also wrote Hard Son, both of which we like on this podcast. Well, we, I. The Sister is this horror thriller 
I don't want to spoil too much, but it's about a man who's hiding something pretty major from his wife. There's another character. I can't remember the actor. I'm sorry, because he is obviously the breakout character of this drama, who plays a creepy ex-associate. I'm glad that it was only a full-part drama, which I appreciated. I think it was just about the right length. I thought it was a bit obvious what had happened halfway through, and I was thinking, surely that's not the case. Surely it's not that obvious. And that is exactly what it turned out to be. The problem with this isn't really the story, because you know what you're getting with a Neil Cross drama. It's going to be high-concept horror thriller. But the way this was made made it seem like something different, something more subtle, more complicated, when really it wasn't. But I enjoyed it nonetheless. I mean, I watched all four episodes in a row, so I can't really complain that much, and that was The Sister. And that's it for Culture this week. Let's move on to... Oh, no, no, no. Let's not move on to technology quite yet. I just remembered something which I'm not sure that I mentioned. It does have a bearing on being in the culture section. So I'll mention that really briefly. And it was my parents' birthday recently. They both got presents consisting largely of books. I bought my father the latest of the Jack Reacher novels that he's reading, and I also bought him something a bit more complicated, because he just burns through the Jack Reacher books. So I also bought him Dr. Zhivago and Anna Karenina, some big hefty tomes of Russian literature that should take him just a tiny bit longer to finish. For my mother's birthday, I bought her, again, some books. I bought her The Lord of the Rings, twice. (laughs) You see, I went on to World of Books, an online second-hand book dealer, and there was a book whose description said that it was new. And I thought, wow, I'm saving a couple of pounds. I'll buy this copy of The Lord of the Rings. That's all volumes in one book really thick doorstop of a thing that you can get rather than buying the Fellowship of the Ring and so on separately. When it arrived, it was not new. It was not the copy advertised on the website. It was a completely different copy. I complained and they said, sorry, they'll send me another copy and just to donate the book that I'd already received to charity. When the next book came... It was even older than the first book. At that point, I just gave up. I thought, I've got two books, they're passable, they're not brand spanking new, but they're okay. I also bought her The Hobbit, which was advertised as in extremely good condition. Though definitely second-hand, and man, was it second-hand. I'm not sure what to do, really, whether I can recommend World of Books or not. I know a lot of people use them and are happy with them, but I'm not so happy. I don't think this is the first time I've complained about them either. Anyway, there are other booksellers out there, loads of them, 
I might use them again, but I'm certainly not going to try and sift through their best books. I'll just get something that's cheap and live with the issues of buying a cheap second-hand book. I just get annoyed when the descriptions of the condition of a book mean absolutely nothing. That negates any reason to have those descriptions whatsoever. More importantly, my mum is reading The Hobbit and enjoying it at the moment. She is also halfway through Dune. And then she's got that Lord of the Rings book to read. I also bought her a Lamy Extra Fine Nib for the fountain pen, which I must have mentioned, which was an earlier present. She initially got one in Broad, and she enjoyed it. Nice ink flow, very easy to write with. But she has also a Filofax that I gave to her ages ago, and would like to put more into each entry. So an extra fine point helped her do that. And Lamy Extra Fine, in general terms, is about fine from most other nib makers. Oh, and by the way, I also got that nib in that darker coated finish. It's not quite black. It's a kind of metallic dark grey. And it looks really good with her limited edition purple pen and her diamine blurple ink. Which, if you're after the same ink and don't mind the smell of laundry initially, while the ink matures to a less repellent smell, the name of the diamine ink is Sapphire. And of course, talking about fountain pens is really not to do with my podcast and really shouldn't be in this bit. So let's move on to technology now. First of all, Google is pulling the rug out from under us again. First it was Google Photos, which are apparently not a place for unlimited photos. And now it's everything else, like mail, for instance, which, if you don't log in enough, will cease to work. I've said this often enough. The fact is, if you play in someone else's playground, they can shut you out any time they want. And the only solution to that is paying for your own stuff. I personally use Google like something that is temporary. Every year I archive all my mail offline, just in case they one day decide to close the service completely. It is annoying though, because a lot of us use our Google email address as a login for multiple services and making us rely on them that much and then suddenly saying, oh, you know what, we can do what we want. Well, yeah, really. Thanks a lot, Google, you bunch of... And finally, here is the reason that I'm all out of sorts today. And that is retro computing. And let me tell you, retro computing can be a pain in the backside. Recently, I won an eBay auction. I've already mentioned this in the podcast. I haven't been more specific than that, but now I'm about to be. And I bought an old 386 PC. 
It featured the in-demand AMD 386DX processor running at 40 megahertz. It was a tower. It was made up of spare parts from other PCs, now that I've had a chance to dissect it. And it cost about £90 UK. When it arrived, upside down, thanks a lot, Courier, I decided to open the box up. So sorry, I have opened the box and done a lot of testing because it was so demanding without filming it, which I said I'd do sometime next year. But I'll do some filming next year when I'm in a better state to do it because it was so much trouble. Anyway, I decided that I would open the box and test it because I need to see it's working before I store it away in preparation for next year's filming and showing it off on YouTube. I also decided that I would remove the CMOS battery because it was one of those old barrel batteries, which notoriously can leak all over your motherboard, ruining it. When I finally got it out of the box, put it on my desk, plugged in my old Amstrad PS2 keyboard with a PS2 to 80 cable that I'd also bought, and then plugged it into my LCD, because my LCD luckily has a VGA connection. It didn't boot. There were so many things wrong. I was getting multiple errors, recognizing drives, disk controller, keyboard, just about everything. So I opened it up, pressed everything into place, hoping that it was a loose connection. And yeah, it was a loose connection. But I was getting a disk controller error. I couldn't figure this out. So I looked at the compact flash card. And then I looked at the photographs that had been supplied, and those compact flash to IDE reader cards that you can buy for about £2 on eBay, most of them take a compact flash card upside down. <laughs> so despite this 3D printed compact card fascia to fit a 3.5 inch drive, which hinted that you put in the card the right way around, because that's the way the letters were. And Anyway, it was one of the problems. Okay, that sorted out. Still didn't work. Oh, man. More fiddling around inside the case. And finally, it did boot. My next task was to remove the battery. But here's a thing that I didn't know or can't remember about free 86s because it's a long time since I've had my own one in the 90s. The barrel battery was soldered in. I almost wrecked the board by trying to desolder it in place. All I managed to do was set fire to the battery casing, which was plastic, and inhale a lot of disgusting smoke, which I hope hasn't killed me. I decided that I would have to disassemble everything, unfortunately, because the case was so tightly packed. And that isn't just me saying it was tightly packed because I'm not such a great uh, PC tech. It definitely was tightly packed. 
It was crammed to the brim with stuff. I could see that whoever had it before me had also had trouble with it because there were cracks here and there where the front panel was so tightly attached to the drives inside. Okay, you get the idea. I don't need to belabor that point. But I did disassemble everything and I did my first proper soldering job, desoldering something, and using a solder sucker. I managed to do that. I was rather proud of myself. The last time I had a soldering iron, I was a teenager and managed to solder nothing at all. And just made a great mess and burned a lot of things. And then, despite taking lots of photographs with my utterly crap phone camera, which didn't help because the camera pictures were such low resolution, although they say they're very high resolution, that I couldn't really tell how all the connections for the front panel were attached to the motherboard. But trial and error, and I got some of them reconnected. Not all of them. I've still got the turbo light and a couple of other things to connect, but I've just about had enough. But anyway, I did reconnect and it did boot up. It took hours doing this stuff. And amazingly, I haven't shorted anything out in the process. From looking at it, I need a new case. I need standoffs, which also broke in transit. The graphics card is decidedly average. The I.O. card works, though the one I have is very, very bashed. It looks like someone had taken a hammer to the card slot attachment. My monitor, which I thought would work in 4.3 mode, does not. Not even in 5.4. So I definitely need a new 4x3 monitor. I need a proper AT keyboard. The one I'm using at the moment was only to test it, and it is a foil and foam keyboard, which means it will need repairing, and I'm definitely not spending money repairing that crappy thing, because a kit to repair a foam and foil keyboard costs about 30 to 40 pounds. I did order an old mouse, and that's presumably still on the way. It should have reached here today, it hasn't, but the keyboard was enough to test the system, and I did also run a few programs on it. Other things that I need to improve, the thing actually comes with an old IDE disk, <laughs> and that's where the boot files are stored. That is not a good option. I think what I really should do is maybe convert that hot swappable IDE spinning metal drive to compact flash. But we'll tackle that next year. That's why I was so unbelievably tired on Monday, just sweating buckets and man, do you know what I've realized? I like having a retro computer on which to play retro games, but I am not a big fan of doing lots and lots of screwdriver stuff and getting out the soldering iron and doing all those things. I know some people do like doing those things. I'm not one of them. 
I like having a machine that works and then playing with some games and software and that sort of thing. Like I said, I will get this working to the optimum and then I'll call it a day. I might also buy some spare parts just in case something dies, which is very likely with these old machines. And about that battery that I removed, yeah, I intend to install an external battery because this motherboard allows you to do that. And yeah, was it worth it? I suppose, yeah, because of the price. I got a working 386 motherboard with 8 megabytes of RAM, with a maths coprocessor, with a Yamaha sound card, and a 3.5 inch floppy disk drive, and a 5 and a quarter inch floppy disk drive, and everything works. Ordinarily, a 386 motherboard with a 386 processor would have cost about that much. And that's probably without the mass coprocessor. In parts alone, then it was worth it. But there is some work to do. And finally, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, what a wimp, I could do this. Well, you probably could. But I've got this one last piece of advice to give you. If you do decide to go this route and buy your own old 386 or 486, my advice is to make sure that the thing you buy has a manual that you can download and look at. Because these old motherboards, they have a lot of connections, a lot of jumpers, and you are right up creek if you don't have a motherboard manual. Luckily, my machine does have a motherboard diagram with jumper settings, so that's good. Thus ends the tale of my... <laughs> episode in retro computing expect infrequent updates i think i have bitten off about as much as i can chew without screwing things up royally oh and by the way if you decide that even earlier retro computing is your thing unless you're incredibly dedicated enthusiasts stick to known Machines like the Commodore 64, the Amiga 500, the BBC Micro, because there are lots of other enthusiasts in that hobby, and there's a lot of documentation, and there's a lot of expertise around those machines. So you're not left completely in the dark. It's never nice stumbling around in the dark. Well, actually, I like doing it, but I don't like the stumbling bit, because it can lead to bumping into things, and why am I carrying on with this strained metaphor? I apologise. Solo podcaster going a bit mad here. And that is it for this episode. If you were expecting a Doctor Who episode, yes, that was the case, but I haven't got around to watching the next Doctor Who story, which off the top of my head I can't quite remember right now. But that will be the next episode, and if I don't mess everything up, that will be released by Friday, as usual. And now I'm going to have a little rest and then edit the mess that is this episode, and just let you get on with your days or nights, as I will. And that's it. The show that you're listening to is, of course, 
Produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to this on. And recommend it to a friend or an enemy. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode 349, recorded on Wednesday the 16th of December 2020, and the time at the end of the show is 002532. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye.